0: We're going to be learning Chidusha Rabbeinu Uchaim HaLevi, the second piece in Hilchos Macholos Asuros. This is Perik Gimel, Halacha Yud Aleph. And our learning should be L'Iloi Nishmas, <laughs> Harav Gidal Yadov Ben Reb Rav Gedal Dov Schwartz from Chicago, one of the elder and the very respected, influential Rabbonim in America. The issue that Rab Chaim's dealing with is with regard to the rule Hayotze Min tame Tamei, that something which comes from a non-kosher animal is also non-kosher. So as is his way, Rab going to develop two different components of that halacha. The Rambam writes, If a chicken is born from the egg of a treifa, that means an animal which comes from a kosher species, but got injured in a way where it's treif, it can't be eaten. So the egg of the treifa is mutar, it's kosher, because the species itself is kosher. So therefore it does not have the rule of something which came from a non-kosher animal. So that's the Rambam's ruling that the egg of a treifa is kosher because it comes from a kosher species. Now, the rivet agrees with the basic halacha, but he questions the Rambam's reason for the halacha. And he says that if you look in the Gemara, there's a different reason. The reason in the Gemara is the way he quotes it, ka govil, When is the animal born? After the egg already rots, the chi nisrach afra ba almahu, once it's rotted, so then it's the same as any dirt, it's no longer non-kosher. Once the food is that ruined, it loses its status of being non-kosher. So that's what the Gemara in Tmuran daf Lamid Aleph says, that the reason why the egg of a trefa is kosher is based on this idea that the chicken is only born once the egg has rotted. And at that point, it's not really a non-kosher food. So that's why we don't apply the principle that it comes from a non-kosher source. So the Raivit's question on the Rambam is, why does he omit the Gemara's explanation? And instead, he inserts his own reason that the Trefa animal is essentially kosher, the species is kosher, just this animal became a trefa. So, Rab Chaim explains... That the Gemara in Chulin and Daphnun Nunches quotes from Amemar, Hani Bi, the Trefa, the eggs of a mother who's a Trefa. So, Shekhla Kama, Asira, the first eggs, meaning those that were in her when she became a Trefa, those are prohibited because when she became a Trefa, that status. Also includes the eggs, so any egg in her at that time became non-kosher. But but after that, then we apply the rule of zevzeg goreim. So any eggs which are born entirely after she became a trefa are a product of both the mother, who's a trefa, is non-kosher, and the father, who is kosher. And so we look at both of these causes, and since one of them is allowed, then the eggs become allowed. So that's the rule of Zevzegorim, if you have two different causes and one is allowed and one is not. So then the allowed one makes the child, the product, kosher. Now, Tosvos has a question there from the in Ksubis, which holds like Rabbi Yehuda, and he is unsure in a case of a mule, so one of the parents is a donkey, one of them is a horse, so are we concerned with the father's contribution, or do we just follow the mother, or we also have to take into account the father, and if we take into account the father, then this child is going to be prohibited to either type of animal, both the donkey and the horse, because this child is neither. So, Rab Chaim explains that Tosus' question could be one of two things. Either the question is, why, according to the Gemara and Ksubis, if we follow both the father and the mother, is the child prohibited to both kinds of species, which should be permitted based on the rule of Zevzeh Goring. Just like we're saying over here that the child of a trefa the egg, is kosher because the father is also involved, so too, in the case of the mule, we should say that the mule is permitted to both the horse and the donkeys, because the father is also involved. So that's one way to phrase the question. The second way to phrase the question is based on that Gemara, we should have the same concern over here, do we follow the father in the case of the trefa or not? Just like Rabbi Huda is unsure when it comes to the mule if the father plays any role, so it should be the same question in the case of the egg of a trefa, do we factor in the father's contribution or not? And therefore there should be a doubt as to whether or not we apply zevez gorem, and why is the Gemara here just say? That it's allowed. So, in order to answer this question, says Rab Chaim, that when it comes to the rule of Hayotse Min Tome Tame, that the product of a non-kosher animal is also non-kosher. There's actually two elements, two components to that halakha. One is that the product, the child, itself becomes non kosher and has the same status as the parent. So since the parent is non-kosher, this child is itself a non kosher animal, too. Meaning, this first component is that the child gets the status of the parent. The second element, says Rab Chaim, is that Hayotzeminah, if it comes from a non kosher source, though so that is a form of being non kosher. It's not the same as the Parent, but it's a new type of non kosher that anything which comes from a non kosher animal is also non kosher, not the same as the parent, but in a separate way because there's a prohibition on products of non kosher animals. In addition, to the prohibition on the non-kosher animal itself. And the proof for this idea, says Rav Chaim, is that the Rambam in Hilchos Machos Asuros, Paragimel Halacha Vav, says, Even though the milk of a non-kosher animal and the eggs of a non-kosher bird are prohibited min torah still, you don't get punished, because the Torah says that you cannot eat the meat of a non-kosher animal. So that wording implies that you get punished for the meat of a non-kosher animal, but you don't get punished for the milk or the eggs of a non-kosher animal. It says the Rambam, eating the milk or the eggs of a non-kosher animal is as if you ate less than a shiur, which is also prohibited mido but you don't get punished for that. So the Rambam compares milk and eggs of a non-kosher animal to a case of less than a shiur, where it's asr mido but there is no punishment. The only punishment is if you eat the flesh of a non-kosher animal. Now Rabbi Chaim points out that in the case of a Tahor Hanolad Minhatmeya, imagine a non-kosher animal gives birth to something which looks like a kosher animal. So there is no question that you would get punished for eating that animal because it's Yotse Minhatame. So why is that different from the case of the eggs and the milk of a non-kosher animal? So Rabbi Chaim explains, when it comes to the eggs and the milk, there is no prohibition in and of themselves. Because the Torah said, that only on flesh is there an inherent prohibition. So the only iser of eating eggs and milk of a non-kosher animal is because they came from a non-kosher source. For that, says the Rambam, there is no punishment. But when it comes to basar, even though it looks like a kosher animal, if it comes from a non-kosher animal, you would get punished for it. And that's because of the second element, which is not only is it non-kosher when it comes to flesh, just because it came from a non-kosher source, but it itself gets the same status as its parent. So any animal which comes from a non-kosher animal is in and of itself considered a non-kosher animal and you get punished for eating its flesh. So according to Rab Chaim, this double element of the rule of Min Hatame Tame is itself referenced in the Rambam when he says that we only get punished for eating flesh, so he's trying to tell us that the element that the animal becomes itself inherently usur, it has the status of its parent, that only applies to flesh. That's what we learn out from Mibsarim in the Torah. But when it comes to the other element of Hayotze Min Hatame, that any product of a non-kosher animal is usur, not that it itself is usur, that it's usur because it comes from a non-kosher animal, so that applies also to eggs and milk, but you don't get punished for that. Now, developing this further, Sir so Rab Chaim says this idea that the child of a non-kosher animal is itself inherently non-kosher, that only applies when the animal is from a non-kosher species. So then any child that it has adopts the same status as the mother and is also non-kosher. But when it comes to a trefa, that does not make the child inherently non kosher because the trefa is essentially a kosher bird. It's just along the way it got injured and it became non kosher. But that status does not go to the child to make the child inherently non kosher. So all you have with the child of a trefa is the second element that. Anything which derives from a non-kosher animal is also non-kosher. So that's going to be the difference between a child born from an actual non-kosher animal, which is in and of itself non-kosher, versus the child of a trefa, which only derives from a non-kosher source, and therefore it's usher, but it itself does not have the status of being non-kosher. Now, with this idea, says Rab Chaim, that we could answer Tosfos, because Tosfos' question was, what is the difference between the principle of zevzek goreim, that if you have a father and a mother, we say that the egg of a trefa is permitted, versus the case of the mule, where we are concerned for the father's contribution. So Rab Chaim says the whole idea of Hoshishin lizera. Ha'av, do we care about the father or not, the gemara in chulen adaf Ayn tes applies it to four areas of halacha. One is osoves slaughtering the mother and the child on the same day. One is with regard to the chelev the fats, if it's allowed or not. The third is with regard to the blood after it's slaughtered. Does it need Kisu ha'dam? Does it need to be buried or not? And the fourth is with regard to matnos kohuna, the gifts which are given to the kohain from the animal. All of these are things which depend on whether the animal is a chaya or a behema. Uh, we would call that an English cattle or a, a less domesticated, a more wild animal. So the issue according to the Gemara is does the father's status affect the child? But Rab Chaim points out those are all cases where the principle of hayotze min hatame doesn't apply. Because the case of giving to the Kohain. And burying the blood; those are mitzvahs. So they have nothing to do with the kashrus eating the animals. So we're not going to apply the principle of ha-yotze min hatame in that case. Also, with regard to the fats, the chelev so that does have to do with an issue of kashrus, but that's still not relevant to yotze min hatame. Because we don't say that just because the father's chaylev is prohibited, then the child's should be prohibited. And that's based on an idea that the gemar and chul and Andav Tess has, that the mevalbel zari, that the father's seed gets mixed in all around with the fats and the meat so you it, it can't trace it back. So therefore we don't say that just because the father's prohibited, then also the fat is going to be prohibited. So even though the fats is a question of kashrus, but we can apply the rule of Hayotza min hatame because of this competing factor, that meval belzari, that everything gets mixed up. And in the fourth case also, of Oso Beno, slaughtering the mother and the child on the same day, so that too is not a case of kashrus, so we're not evaluating whether this animal is allowed to be eaten or not. There are ways that it would be prohibited to slaughter this animal, but we're not Talking about whether the animal itself is permitted or not, so we're not going to apply the rule of hayotze min hatame in all of these cases. So it says, rab Chaim, when the Gemara says choshishin lezerah ha'av, are we concerned for the father's status? It's not a way or a question of applying the rule of hayotze min hatame. That rule is irrelevant to those cases. The question of choshishin lezerah ha'av is: Does the child get the same status as the father? Meaning inherently, not just that they are the child of the father who had this status, but they are going to also inherit the father's status. So if we say, (laughs) it means not only does this child come from the father, that's irrelevant to that, who they come from, but because they are the child of this father, they now have the same status of the father. But that, says Rab Chaim, is totally different than the issue of Zevzeh Goreim, which is focused on the other aspect of all this which is where they come from. It's not an issue of their status themselves but uh, instead we trace this animal back to its parents and this animal has the status of their parents and Zev says that it gets both of them. So that answers the first formulation of the question in Tosvos, why when it comes to the mule, if we factor in the father, is it prohibited to both donkeys and horses? But when it comes to the egg of a treifa, then it's permitted because there's a father involved. So the answer is because when we're Choshesh and Ha'av, it means that this animal now has the status of the father and the mother, and therefore it's prohibited to any animal which is not its species. So it's prohibited to both the father species and the mother species. We can't say that since Zevze Goren, there's both a father and a mother, therefore it becomes permitted because the animal itself has the status of the mother and the father. And we're not just dealing in that case with whether it comes from a donkey or a horse. That would be the question of Zev Zegorim. That's why in the case of the egg of the trefa, where the issue is not the egg itself, but rather what caused this egg to be created. So there we do apply Zev Zegorim. And since there's a father who's a kosher animal, so therefore the egg is permitted. So that answers the first formulation of Tosis's question. And uh, Rabbi Chaim adds, it also answers the second formulation of Tosas' question: Why don't we say that just like there's a position in the Gemara that ain't in ha'av, that we maybe don't care at all about the father? So that should backfire when it comes to the egg of a treifa, and we should say if we don't care about the father, then the egg is non-kosher. So again, because there's a basic difference between zev zegoreim and the rule of ain't in ha'av. meaning even though we're not going to give the child the status of the father that's that position in the Gemara that so the child inherently does not have the father's status but there is no question that this child is also a product of the father so when it comes to the rule of Zevzeg goreim who caused this egg to come is both the mother who's a treifa and the father who's kosher and therefore the egg is going to be kosher so with this distinction that Rab Chaim's making between whether the child of a non-kosher animal is itself Non kosher, it has the same status as the parent, or it's just non kosher because its parent was non kosher. So that's going to be the key to understanding these different rules of whether Choshejin Lazare Ha'av or not, which is in the Gmar versus the issue which is discussed in Chulin of Zevze that both the father and the mother contribute to the child. And the Tosos wanted to know why there isn't more consistency with it, but Rab is explaining that there's a key difference because the rule of Zevze is concerned with the issue of who produced this egg, whereas the rule of whether we follow the father's status or not is concerned with the inherent status of the child. So that's why they function differently. And also, Rab Chaim has said, based on the Rambam, that when it comes to the egg and the milk of a non-kosher animal, so it only has the component that it comes from a non-kosher animal, but it itself is not non-kosher. That's something which only applies to the actual child, an animal, which comes from a non-kosher animal. Now, based on this distinction and all this, as Rab Chaim, we could explain why the Rambam needed to say a different reason than the Gemara. Because the Rambam held that the Gemara's explanation that the egg rots before the child is born, so the child comes out from something which has the status of just dirt, it's not a non-kosher egg at that point, that only resolves the issue That this child comes from a non-kosher source. So a trefa animal, which is a non-kosher animal, laid an egg. That egg is non-kosher. And the child comes from that egg. So the way to get around that is to say that by the time the child was born, the egg had already rotted. And therefore it did not come from a non-kosher source. But all that won't help us with regard to the second problem that the child itself has the status of non-kosher of the parent. So that's why the Rambam had to add a second reason. It's not that he's replacing the Gemara's reason or he doesn't believe in the Gemara's reason, but he needed a different reason to resolve the second problem. Why doesn't this child itself have the status of being a non-kosher animal? And to that says the Rambam, because this bird is just a trepha, it comes from a kosher species... It's just that the, along the way, the bird became a trefa, so the only issue this child had was that it comes from a non-kosher bird, but it, it itself does not get the status of a non-kosher bird. That's what Rabbi Chaim had said before, that there's a key difference between an actual non-kosher animal and a treifa. that the child of a treifa does not itself have the status of a non-kosher animal. So that's what the Rambam means to say over here. Ein minotame, this bird is just a treifa, it doesn't come from a non-kosher species, and therefore its child is not inherently non-kosher. So that's why we can apply the Gemara's Reason to take care of the other problem that the egg comes from a non-kosher bird, and the answer to that is that by the time the egg hatches, it's already rotted, and therefore this new child is not born from a non-kosher source. So that's how Rab Chaim explains why the Rambam gave a different reason than the Gemara. He's actually adding to the discussion of the Gemara. The Rambam read the Gemara and at the end was left with a question. So that's why he inserted his own explanation to resolve his lingering issue with the Gemara. We've seen Rab Chaim use this methodology before that the Rambam had a lingering question and he resolved it by putting in his own reason in his discussion in the Mishnah Torah. This is not the kind of method that became overly popular with briskers, but Rab Chaim certainly uses it a good amount. So that's Rav Chaim's piece. Now, there's a very nice discussion of this issue in the Mishnas Yaakov from Rav Yaakov Rosenthal, who was a Rav in Haifa, a very fascinating figure. He really rose above all of the petty political divisions that we have amongst from people and all the different groupings, and he was just focused on learning. He was also a very significant Dayan. He played a major role in the Bate Din in Eretz Yisrael. So in his book on the Rambam, Mishnas Yaakov, in Hilchos Machalas Asuros, Perak Aleph, Halacha, Dalid, and a lot of this is available also in the Or Olam edition of Rab Chaim in the back, he discusses the issues that Rab Chaim brings up in this piece, and he quotes that the Pischei Chuva and Yerdea and Simen Ayin Tes, Sifkat, and bays, quotes from the Tshuva Siyad Eliyahu in Simen Bays. Uh, written by Rebel Yohu, he was the Rav of Lublin, but uh, he was also for a time the Rav of Brisk. So this is one of Rav Chaim's predecessors. Anyways, he raises the same issue with this halacha of Hayotzim HaTomei Tomei. And in the Mishnah, this is what the Rambam there in Perak Aleph Halacha Dalet is codifying says that if a non-kosher animal gives birth to an animal which has the appearance of a kosher animal, it's still prohibited to eat. So the Yad El-Yohu wants to know, is it that the child is considered non-kosher, has all the halachas of a non-kosher animal, that status, or is it just prohibited to eat, but in essence we view it as a kosher animal that's just prohibited because the source, its mother, was a non-kosher animal. So that, of course, is the same issue Rab Chaim's discussing. Rab Chaim says that it's both Elements, But the Yad Eliyahu leans towards the side that it's not inherently a non-kosher animal. It's a kosher animal which is prohibited to be eaten because it came from a non-kosher source. Uh, the Mishnas Yaakov quotes that the Maharit seems to hold the other way, that we actually consider this a non-kosher animal. And he also quotes that the godim in Yeridea, in Mishpatos Zahav, in Semenpe Aleph, Sifkan Aleph, Asks this as a question He says that if the Rambam holds That you don't get punished for eating the eggs And milk of a non-kosher animal Then why did nobody ever say That you don't get punished for eating a Kosher looking animal which was born From a non-kosher animal So the Mishnah Yaakov points out that of course Rab answers this question By saying that there's a difference between An animal versus the Eggs and the milk. The Rambam's whole idea That Mibsaram tells us you only get punished For an animal is extremely explicitly trying to tell us this idea that when a an kosher animal is born to a non-kosher mother, not only is it prohibited because its mother was not kosher, but it itself is also considered a non-kosher animal, and that's why you get punished for it. So the Primagodim's question seems to follow the view of the Yad El-Yahu that it's not that this animal is actually a non-kosher animal inherently, it's just that it's prohibited to be eaten. It's an isra Achila, but it's similar to the milk and the eggs, and that's why the Prima Godim wants to know why is there punishment in this case as opposed to the case of the milk and the egg. So that's his discussion there. And he quotes some other ideas about this from the Briskerov and the other points. Now, to come back to the original question that Rab Chaim began the piece with, the Raivit's question on the Rambam, why did he use a different reason than the one found in the Gemara? So, uh, Rab Chaim has a nice conceptual answer, but uh, it's worth noting that there's two simpler answers the Magid Mishnah and the Rambam in Malchos Asuros Paragimal Halachi Yad Aleph. So, uh, he suggests that uh, similar to Rav Chaim, but uh, much more technically, that uh, the Rambam was trying to answer a different question than the Gemara. The Gemara's question is why don't we apply the rule of hayotze min to the situation of an egg of a trefa? So on that, the Gemara answered because by the time the chick is born, the egg has rotted. The Rambam's question, says the Magin is he's trying to answer why don't we apply that same idea to a non-kosher bird and say that by the time the chick hatches, the egg has already rotted. So, Any bird which is born even from a fully non-kosher bird should be kosher because of this idea that the egg rots before the chick is hatched. So uh, to that, the Rambam said that we only apply the idea of the Gemara to a species which is inherently kosher, but the mother is a treifa. Then we'll say that the egg is not hayotze min hatame because by the time the chick hatches, it rots. But we don't apply that to a bird which is non-kosher to begin with if the species is totally not kosher. So uh, similar to Rab Haim, he says that the Rambam is answering a different question, but it's a much more technical approach. The Rambam is trying to deal with the issue of why don't we apply the Gemara Svara also to a case of a non-kosher bird. Uh, the Magid Mishnah adds in a line over here that it's a case where the egg came from a non-kosher bird and then a kosher bird sat on it. So it's not clear exactly what he wants with that and why it should make a difference if a kosher bird sits on the egg of a non-kosher bird and you don't even seem to need that detail for his answer because you could say the same idea even if a kosher bird didn't sit on it. Why don't we apply the same notion that once the egg hatches, it's already rotted. Either way, that's the approach of the Magid Mishnah, and the Maserokeach has another approach here, which is uh, probably the simplest and the most technical. But uh, he points out that there are a lot of Gemaras that don't even have that line in them on in Tamura Daf Lamed Aleph, which the Ravid is referencing. So he says that the Ramah might just have had a different reading of that Gemara. He didn't have the Ravid's girsa, which does have that line in it, and that's why he inserts his own reason into this but uh, had he had the Rivid's Gemara then he would have gone along with the Rivid's idea so the Rivid's question and the Rambam's recording of this halacha are just based on two different girsos in that Gemara in Temura